Welcome to the DPI Podcast. This is Matt. We're going to finish up our overview of Walt Disney World series today with the what to do around the parks. This is going to be an overview of all of the different entertainment options that are around Walt Disney World Resort, not only as far as rides and shows, but also getting outside to some of the stuff like golf and some of the other experiences that are around the Walt Disney World Resort. So really where we want to start is where everybody thinks when they're going down the Walt Disney World, and that's going to be the rides. So Peter, why don't you jump in and get us started with the rides? I think the rides at Walt Disney World are probably the most iconic thing that people think about. At the end of the day, yes, Walt Disney World is an amusement park. And one of the things that I always talk about when I'm I'm dealing with new people in the sort of Disney family and the Disney experience is... Though it is an amusement park, you need to go expecting a wowing interactive experience and not a day of cheap thrills that you would see at a lot of like the Cedar Fair companies or the Six Flags company um, or even the Universal company, although they are getting a little bit better at the interactive immersive experiences. But rides obviously are a very important thing at Walt Disney World. It's important to know what you're going to be doing with the rides. It's important to know what ride types are available. And I think what sets Disney apart versus some of those other companies that I just shared is the fact that they really do have a ride for everybody. Whether you have an infant or a teenager that you're trying to go down to Disney World with, you're going to find something for everybody. And regardless of age, it's still just as fun to ride some of those no height restriction classics like Dumbo as a teenager, even an adult. I know when my wife and I went down there for our anniversary trip, we still rode uh, Small World and we still rode Dumbo and we still rode all these like family fun things because it's just whimsical to, to just let loose of parenting, let loose of all the stressors of, of being an adult in today's world and, and just be a kid again. And so first thing I want you to know is that there are ride types for everybody. There are slow moving rides. There are slow moving boat rides. There are in the dark rides. There are roller coasters. There are get you wet rides. There are all types of things. And so there are going to be ride types all the way from something with no height restriction to the highest height restriction at Walt Disney World is 52 inches. And it always cracks me up at the the one ride that's 52 inches is this little spinning mouse ride over in Animal Kingdom in Dino Land. But outside of that, the next highest is 48 inches at Rockin' Roller Coaster. And then 44 inches is my sweet spot where if somebody is 44 inches, they can pretty much do it all because then you're going to get in Expedition Everest and Flight of Passage and Space Mountain. The last two height requirements that are really important at Disney are 36 and 40 inches because in those height ranges, you start to get more of the family-friendly but a little bit more intense rides like Splash Mountain, Seven Doors Mine Train, Slinky Dog Dash are going to come in at those 36 to 40 inch height requirements. So it's really important to know the heights of the individuals going, especially if you do have smaller kids. 
and take the time to look through those rides. But just know that even if you're traveling with smaller kids that are under three feet, you're still going to have a blast because you're still going to be able to ride tons of things. If I just use Magic Kingdom as an example, you're still going to be able to ride Small World and Little Mermaid and Dumbo and Jungle Cruise and Haunted Mansion and the list goes on and on. There are plenty of ride attractions for our younger guests. Now, some of the rides do get pretty hefty lines and something that Matt and I like to focus on when we get down there is all about getting the most for my time and that means getting the most for my money because if I'm getting the most for my time then I'm really getting my money's worth down at Disney and one of the things that you need to know how to do is book smart fast passes so Matt why don't you go through that since this is the first time that we're introducing that into our podcast series yeah so the fast passes are kind of like a a hold time for you to ride a ride for on-site guests you can book fast passes at 60 days out. And that's very important because a lot of the top rides, and Peter's going to go over this here in a couple minutes, some of the top rides are going to not have fast passes right at that 60-day window. So you want to be able to get them as soon as possible so that you can get some of those higher wait time rides such as Flight of Passage and Seven Doors Mine Train. You want to be able to get those as soon as possible. What you do is you book your fast passes. You can only book one fast pass during an hour window. So if your fast pass starts at 1225, the end of that fast pass is 125, and you can't book another fast pass in reality until 125. So really, when you're talking about setting up your planning day and that kind of stuff, you're going to have an idea with your meals, what parks you're going to be at and that kind of stuff. And then from there, you're going to take these fast passes and you're going to book them around your meals based off of the top rides at each park. On top of that, you get three fast passes per day. Once you get through those fast passes, you are able to book additional fast passes one at a time. So you finish your third fast pass in that line for that third fast pass. You can book your fourth fast pass. In the line for the fourth fast pass, you can book your your fifth fast pass, and you can go on and on as long as rides are available with fast passes. Yeah, I think my record in one day is like fourteen fast passes. Yeah, so if you're booking them really early in the morning, you have the ability to book a lot of fast passes, and all that means is you're not waiting in that half hour, forty five minute, hour line to go on some of these rides. So. Peter, now that we know what the fast passes are, give us some of the top rides at each park. Sure. So let's start with the the flagship of Disney World, and that's Magic Kingdom. So my recommendation when you're considering fast passes at Magic Kingdom is stick to the mountains and Seven Dwarves. So what I mean by that is Seven Dwarves Mine Train always classically has a very long wait. You'll find wait times in the 75 to 150 minutes within 30 minutes of the park opening, and they'll hold steady there all day long, all the way up until park close. So Seven Doors Mine Train is sort of the top thing that you should be aiming your fast passes for. And then from there, you should aim for the mountains. So if you have guests in your group that are tall enough to ride Space Mountain, Splash Mountain, and Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, those would be the next place that you should aim your fast pass target for because all of those are going to get pretty hefty lines. Splash Mountain is a little bit seasonal, I will say. So if I'm going down in December or January, somewhere in the winter months, 
maybe Splash Mountain isn't something that I'm going to put on my itinerary ahead of time. Because as Matt mentioned, as I go get my fourth or fifth Fast Pass, it's probably going to be available day of because a lot of locals and people who are used to more tropical climates aren't going to want to ride a water ride when it's 75 degrees. But people like me from the Midwest, 75 degrees, I'm like, heck yeah, let's go get wet because it's a humid 75. And then there are two more that I think people wouldn't consider when they're thinking about Magic Kingdom Fast Passes. The first one is Peter Pan's Flight. It just doesn't move a lot of people through its line because the boats fit a maximum of three people, and that would be if it's two adults and a really little child. The boats fit a maximum of three people, and there just aren't a lot of boats on the ride system. So it creates really long lines. So I really like to have a fast pass for Peter Pan's flight. And then the other one, and this one's really deep dive in here, but it's Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise will create 90 plus minute waits because, again, the boat fits a good amount of people in it. But there's only so many boats on the entire river system and we get really long waits at Jungle Cruise. So I like to target Jungle Cruise as a fast pass, but maybe I don't have it as one of my prior three, but definitely something that I want to look at getting the fourth or fifth fast pass of the day at. So those would be the, the top six things to target at Magic Kingdom. Outside of that, it's all about the tiered systems because all of the other parks have what's called fast pass tiering. So Hollywood Studios, Animal Kingdom, and Epcot all have tiers where at Epcot, you can only choose one experience between Frozen Ever After, Soarin', and Test Track. So I only get to choose one of those three. So I need to really think about my party, whether we would rather ride Soarin', Frozen, or Test Track. And I'm guessing that Matt's going to talk about future rides, but I'm guessing the Guardians of the Galaxy is going into that top tier as well. Over at Hollywood Studios, I actually have to choose between all of the rides as my single top tier Fast Pass. And then all of the shows and attractions, and oddly enough, the Star Tours ride are in the lower tier where I choose my other two Fast Passes. And then over at Animal Kingdom, the two Pandora rides I have to choose between. And then all of the other rides are in that lower tier where I can take my other two Fast Passes from. Just talking a little bit of strategy, going back through each park. Epcot, you have to choose between Soarin', Test Track, or Frozen. And then you're probably going to fill it up with maybe a Living with the Land or a Figment or a Spaceship Earth or really whatever suits your fancy. But kind of pro tip, once you get into that third wait time, in, into that third fast pass queue, you can go and book a Frozen or a Soren or a Test Track. So kind of personal experience, Frozen seems to fill up and be harder to get as my fourth or fifth fast pass than Soren and sometimes Test Track. So I would recommend aiming for Frozen or Test Track, knowing that I can probably get a Soren on the day of. Over at Animal Kingdom, it's really about how big your riders are. If you can, Flight of Passage is the number one thing that you should target. But if your ride goers aren't tall enough, then definitely just take the Navi River Journey. It's still an awesome ride, great experience. 
And then outside of that, Kilimanjaro Safaris, Expedition Everest, and Kali River Rapids would be where you should spend your other two fast passes, depending on the preferences of your party. Over at Hollywood Studios, we have a really funky top tier system where you basically have to pick one ride and a show and star tours or two shows. So you can look at the shows that are available and Matt's actually going to be talking about those in a little bit more detail here soon. So you can figure out what your party would like to see. And then for the ride, it's really up to you, but I would recommend that you aim for Slinky Dog Dash. And then as you get those fourth and fifth fast passes, then maybe you can find the Tower of Terrors, the Rock and Roller Coasters, the Toy Story Manias, and see what you can get out of it. Because Hollywood Studios really threw park goers for a loop when they unveiled their new FastPass system that's debuting right now with the opening of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I will throw in one more thing that Smuggler's Run is still not FastPassable. You just have to wait through the standby line. And the last thing that I'll throw in here before I toss it over to Matt to talk about some things that are coming soon is beyond the FastPass system, if you do have need of disability services if you swing into guest relations at any park they will set you up with a disability access service pass and the way that that system works is you go up to the ride entrance and whatever the current standby wait time is they will then create on your magic band a return time at that many minutes from now so just to explain that a little bit better If it's noon and I walk up to something that has a 30-minute wait time, they're going to create me a return time for 12.20 because they'll take the current standby minus 10 minutes because 10 minutes is approximately how long it should take you to wait through the fast pass line. So just know that that's available for you as well if you do have any disability needs or anything like that. So Matt, I talked about the top rides, but those top rides are going to have some competition pretty soon because Disney World's unveiling some new things that are pretty exciting. So why don't you walk us through some of those? Yeah, well, if you go down to the parks right now, you see the state bird of Florida all around the parks of the crane. And, you know, all that means is there's a ton of construction going on. You ride the Skyliner into the back of Epcot, you see a ton of construction. Really, as far as rides coming up at Magic Kingdom, you've got the Tron roller coaster. It's slated for early 2021. They've been doing a ton of construction on that. You know, if you ride Tomorrowland Speedway, you get a great view of what's going on. The People Mover also gives you a really good view of the construction progress that's over there. Over at Epcot, Epcot's going through a whole new redevelopment. And if you get online and look at some of the D23 stuff that came out, they're getting ready to kind of reform that whole front section of the park around spaceship earth and with that is coming two new rides in the form of the guardians of the galaxy ride and also in the back in the france pavilion there's going to be the ratatouille ride being unveiled here in the next couple years at hollywood studios you've got rise of the resistance that's going to be opening up in december You also have Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad that opens up at the beginning of uh, 2020. And really no, no new construction over at 
Animal Kingdom. I do know at Animal Kingdom, just to add to that, I do know that Disney Studios has announced the release of Avatar 2, 3, and 4. And thoughts are that the Pandora area is greatly going to expand. If you're familiar with the area, over to the right, there's that really long bridge that takes you into Africa. The thought is that Pandora is really going to massively expand over to that right area. As Pandora 2, 3, and 4 come out, there will be some new rides themed off of some of the things that you see in those future movies. So I think Animal Kingdom is going to be getting... Um, an overhaul as well. And there's also been talk of the Dinoland area potentially getting a facelift overhaul, potentially over there around Dinoland, Finding Nemo, the musical, and, and everything like that. So yeah, so that kind of gets us through all the rides as part of the attractions. Now, what you what else you have at the parks are the shows and the entertainment. So Peter, you know, why don't you talk us through some of those fantastic nighttime shows? Yeah, I think that's something that you really need to plan into your day because every park has one or more nighttime shows. So the big one at Magic Kingdom is obviously Happily Ever After, which has a fantastic castle projection show in addition to some really great fireworks. Probably the best on Disney property on a daily basis is the fireworks that go up with Happily Ever After. And that show does change a little bit depending on the time of year. If you're down there July 4th or if you're at one of the not-so-scary parties or Very Merry Christmas Party or there for New Year's, that show is going to change and be themed to that specific event. But Happily Ever After runs every single night outside of those special events. And it's a fantastic show that you want to make sure that you experience while you're down there. And then every other park does have sort of a culminating nighttime show. At Hollywood Studios, they have Fantasmic, which is a really cool character slash pyrotechnic show that takes you through some Disney heroes working to take on Disney villains. It's a really, really cool show. Over at Epcot, they've just unveiled the Epcot Forever, which I'm really looking forward to seeing here. And I hear great things, and I refuse to go online and watch a show about it So until I can experience it in person. So stay tuned, because Matt and I will definitely be doing a special edition about Epcot Forever once I experience it and he ex experiences it in November. And then lastly, over at Animal Kingdom, they have the Rivers of Light show, and they also have a, a light show on the Tree of Life that happens twice a night as the sun goes down. Rivers of Light's pretty cool. It just got redone. Expect projection onto water along with a few animal float rides and flowers and stuff that do a little combo between water and fire. Really kind of a cool show about the delicate balance of nature and highlighting all of the things that Animal Kingdom brings to us to, to consider outside of the standard theme park type of feeling that we get at the other ones. And so those are the nighttime shows. But in addition to that, there are lots of things that you can fast pass and view during the day. So Matt, why don't you kind of hit and highlight a few of our park shows? Yeah, so every park has a wide variety of not only live action shows, 
but also animatronic shows. And if you know Disney animatronics, they are fantastic. So really, I'll just kind of go park by park. So Magic Kingdom is probably the best park for your animatronics. You have the Hall of Presidents, Mickey's PhilharMagic shows that are both good long indoor shows, great breaks from the summer heat, air-conditioned buildings. But as far as, you know, fast passes for live shows in that park, you don't have a lot of options. But once you get to the other parks, Hollywood Studios has a ton of live shows. You have the Beauty and the Beast show. You've, you have the Frozen show. You've got a couple of dance parties there as well that I would consider shows. And you also have the Lightning McQueen Racing Academy, which is an animatronic show that's going on back in behind the rock and roller coaster area right now. Over at Animal Kingdom, my favorite show is the Lion King show. That's a fantastic show. You've got the Finding Nemo musical show over there as well. So over at Epcot, you have this bandstand that's over kind of in front of the American Pavilion, and they do a lot of different things there, not only concerts and then theme shows, like they have a Guardians of the Galaxy show that's been going on for a while, but they also do the Candlelight Processional around Christmas time, which is fantastic. They bring in a lot of big name actors and, and Hollywood types, and it's a, it's a really big production over there. With that being said, all those shows you can do fast passes for, but there are still some shows that are just kind of open air where you just kind of see them throughout the park. So Peter, why don't you go over a few of those? When you talk about those, so all the ones that Matt went through, definitely a lot of them are fast passable. A lot of them are more considered attractions especially Hollywood Studios, which makes sense because it's celebrating theater and art and, and Hollywood. And so that park has a ton of shows if you're interested in it. But then beyond that, there are stage shows and live performances all over all of the parks. So at Magic Kingdom, a really hot spot is going to be the stage in front of the castle. There's a variety of shows throughout the day. In addition to that, there are a couple of parades that come around depending on the time of year. There are dance parades as well as the Festival of Fantasy Parade, which is absolutely wonderful. You get to see these great, huge decorated floats themed out to your favorite Disney movies with your characters from the movie on there waving to the crowd. Over at Animal Kingdom, there are lots of live performers, especially in the Africa area and the Discovery Island area. Lots of just little pickup shows. Over in Pandora, there's a couple of really cool shows around the drum area that happen throughout the day. Over at Hollywood Studios in front of the Chinese Theater, you're going to find the majority of your live shows. There's a Star Wars and there are a couple other like celebrating animation and, and other things like that throughout the day. And then Epcot, it's all around the World Showcase. If you go into most of the pavilions in the World Showcase, you are going to find celebrations of that culture through live performers if we think like in Mexico, there's a mariachi band and in Japan, there are drummers and in China, there are acrobats and the list goes on and on around the pavilion of local talent from that nation that are celebrating the culture. Outside of that, anything else to talk about in terms of shows and entertainment? I think we left a big one out, Matt. Yeah, and the, the big one we left out is character meet and greets. And all around all the parks, there are different characters and different costumes that are there for pictures and to sign those autograph books. So really, 
the app does a great job of listing out where those characters are, when they're available, because not all the characters are available at the same place all day. So really get on your My Disney Experience app while you're at the parks if you don't have any of those planned before you go and just kind of see who's out there and, you know, what time they're out there. A couple of them that are kind of lesser known that we like to go to, Pocahontas and Animal Kingdom is kind of hidden when you're going towards the Dino Land area. There's just a little walkway off to the side and she's down in this little uh, enclosure down at the end of that. And then meeting the stepsisters behind Cinderella's castle is another one that's really, really interactive and fun. They're very animated. They do a great job with the kids. So, you know, check those out. And again, seasonally, especially if you're going to those parties, you can catch some of those harder to hit characters during those parties. So we've talked a lot about the rides and the shows and the entertainment that are at the parks. Peter, do you have anything else to add? No, I really don't. I think we've done a really good job. And, and originally in this podcast, we had planned to go into significantly more detail. And now that we've actually talked about it, we've realized that it takes a lot to be thorough. And where we're sitting in terms of the time, I think would be a good place to stop right here. Because what we've done in this podcast is really explained all the ins and outs to somebody going for the first time or for their second or third time. Somebody that I would consider a little bit more novice at taking on Disney World. So I think this is a really great place for us to pause and call this What to Do Part 1, I'm New to Disney. And let's come back next time and do a What to Do Part 2, I've Been There Before, what do you got that's different? And we can cover all those other things that's available at Disney World. So stay tuned for the second part of this podcast. And let's go ahead and call it a day. We want to thank you for listening and follow us on all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those great things. Find us on Anchor and on Spotify and Apple Music. But thanks for tuning in. And, and I really hope you got something enjoyable out of today. Thanks a lot. Turn your Disney dream into a magical Disney vacation with Princesses and the Mouse Disney Travel. Contact us at any of these options or learn more by clicking the website link below.